Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Today's episode of Reach is brought to you by our sponsor, Jackie, another secret weapon that executive assistants and women who do it all need to know about. You guys all know that feeling, right? Staring at your closet and thinking to yourself, I have so many clothes and yet nothing to wear. That is why Jackie is here. Jackie is a high-end boutique subscription styling service that you apply to join. What I love about Jackie is you get to develop a relationship with your stylist. Your stylist is someone you can text or call or email with specific wardrobe needs or ideas you have. Or maybe there's an upcoming event or trip or meeting or even a wedding that your ex is going to be at that you really, really, really want to look fantastic for. Those are exactly the types of scenarios a Jackie subscription can help with. Each box from Jackie is filled with high quality clothing and accessories. Jackie is here to help all of us embrace our style and our confidence. This is subscription styling done right for the women who do it all. So apply to join Jackie and fall in love with your style this year. Visit shopjackie.com to apply to join and be sure to tell your stylist Maven sent you with code MAVEN20 for 20% off all the items kept in your first box. Welcome to Reach, your platform to connect with other executive assistants and acquire game-changing knowledge and perspective. Reach is designed to inspire your workday, guide you through pivotal moments in your career, and transform you into the executive assistant you've always wanted to be. Hi, it's Jessica. Before we get started, I want to take a quick moment to thank all of you, our community of devoted listeners. If you're enjoying our program, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts so more people can find us. And if you'd like to be a part of our growing community, send us an email to reach at mavenrec.com so we can keep you in the loop on all things events related, updates, and more. If you have any recommendations, comments, or guest referral ideas, we'd love to hear from you as well. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Reach. This is Jessica Van, founder and CEO of Maven Recruiting Group. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Stacy Green. She's joining us via a remote uh, connection here. Hi, Stacy. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. So Stacy is the senior executive assistant to the CEO of Grail which is a biotech startup that is committed to nothing more lofty than saving lives, uh, if you can imagine anything more important than that. So Grail's mission is to save lives by detecting cancer early on when there's a better chance of it actually being cured. Stacy has been with Grail for three years, but prior to her current role, Stacy was an executive assistant at the biopharma behemoth Genentech for over 10 years. She's supported VPs, directors, and C-levels within this industry. So if there's anyone who knows what it's like to be an executive assistant in the biotech world, it's this lady, Stacy. With life sciences companies having really a heyday right now, and with all the hiring and growth that we're seeing in that sector, we thought it would be a timely moment to bring Stacy on the program to explore more about this industry, but particularly from an executive assistant's perspective. Stacy is here to shed some light on what it's like to be an executive assistant in biotech, the challenges and the rewards of working in that field, 
and what it's like to work with a bunch of scientists and PhDs and what to expect if you, as an executive assistant, are thinking of joining a biotech company, whether it's a big one like Genentech or um, a smaller one like Grill. So, Stacy, to get us started, how did you first land in the biotech world? And I think what I'm curious to know is, was this just sort of a happenstance or was it an industry that you were familiar with and something that you were specifically targeting from day one? I had no idea what biotech was. I was actually referred to Genentech by a former colleague. I had actually come from the software slash financial industry. I had been in that industry previously for over 10, 15 years. So when she had referred me to Genentech, I had no idea what biotech was, but it was an admin role. So I said, sure, why not? Because the skills are obviously very transferable. And that was my first intro into the biotech world. And I fell in love with it. So I felt very fortunate to go from the financial slash software industry into something where I felt that my job was making an impact. And I absolutely love it. And I don't see myself going into any other industry ever. (laughs) Yeah, Absolutely. And, and that's something I hope we can um, touch on further as, as we get going today. But really digging into, you know, the mission of, of what you do and how you see your work supporting the, the broader purpose and the broader um, objectives of those organizations. So that's actually really interesting. So you were not you were not like a biotech junkie. It wasn't like you were secretly mixing, you know, chemicals in your in your basement and had like this affiliation for the industry in some way. So this was just sort of a coincidence. So I think all the more so um, I'm curious to know if you found it intimidating at all to work in an environment when you know, this wasn't necessarily your background, right? And so has it been intimidating at all to work with a bunch of people who call themselves doctors and have PhD (laughs) attached to their resume, right? I mean, that's so that's so common, so commonplace in your industry. And what has that been like? What is it like to work with scientists and academics and researchers? So when I first started at Genentech, I walked down the hallway, and every single, this is back in the day when we had offices and cubicles, Uh, at Genentech, but every single nameplate had PhD or MD associated with it. (laughs) And I was extremely intimidated because I don't have anything near those types of credentials. And so I thought, I don't know how I'm going to fit into this world. But I found very quickly that these people are just like you and me. They're just everyday people. They have kids, they have families, they have lives outside of work. Uh, What they do is just different career-wise than what I do. So um, I found it to be a very welcoming environment. I, I didn't feel intimidated after probably the first week that I was there because everyone just treated me as their colleague. They didn't treat me as if I was less than just because I didn't have a PhD or an MD or some kind of title associated with my name. Cause that was very big. You know, everyone's business cards has their, their title with all of their accolades um, tied to them. But there, I found that they were just very warm and they, they took the time to help me understand when I had questions. And that was one thing that helped me um, to kind of, 
start relating to them is being able to ask questions when I didn't understand. I, I remember going into my first few team meetings and everything just sounded like a foreign language to me because mm -hmm. I wasn't from that industry. I didn't have the background. I didn't have the knowledge. So everything just sounded like a foreign language. So after meetings, I would, you know, sit down with people I supported or, or asked to go to other team meetings to kind of start developing an understanding of what exactly are they doing and what are, what are they talking about? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it, and being able to assist on different, you know, kind of raising my hand to assist on different projects and things to be able to get a better understanding of really what was going on in the group that I was in. Uh, I started out in medical affairs. So, um, I worked with a lot of, you know, people that were writing these papers, they were writing, um, doing poster presentations for, you know, other people in the medical field for doctors, they're collaborating with doctors on writing these pieces. Um, you know, they're dealing with people doing clinical trials, all of this stuff that just went right over my head. I had no clue about any of it. And so the more I was able to ask questions, the more I was able to get involved in projects, the better understanding I had of what exactly they were doing. And that helped me in turn to do my job better because even though I wasn't an MD, I didn't have a PhD, it helped me to understand, oh, this meeting is for X. So this is extremely important. I can, I can help them prioritize their day because I have an understanding of what they're doing, what, what's critical, what deadlines are coming up, you know, what papers are coming up that they need to do, what poster presentations are next, et cetera, et cetera. So the more I understood what they were doing, the better I could do my job. Absolutely. And every, every industry has its own jargon. Yes. It just so happens that I think biotech and life sciences and pharma have um, a jargon that is somewhat obtuse and inscrutable to a lot of people if they <laughs> haven't been around it. Um, but, but I think, like you said, just unpacking that and um, beginning to, to develop some context around that. I mean, we've heard from a, a number of other REACH guests who talk about how critical it is in order to excel in a support role that you really understand the business context and that you've really got to be able to dig into the objectives of the company, the objectives of the individuals that you support. Um, and like you said, you know, being in science and analytics and, and dealing with research and clinical trials, and I, you just mentioned medical affairs. I mean, <laughs> these are things that are a little bit more esoteric, perhaps, than than others. Um, so from your experience, how deep do you think that you've had to get in order to really uh, support effectively? I mean, how, how, how much below the surface have you dug and scratched? And, and how deep would you say, I guess, kind of where do you draw, where do you draw the line on what's useful context and useful information? And then where, where do you kind of say, okay, that might be deeper than I need to go? Like, what, what does that balancing act look like for you? Right. So when you're supporting, for example, when I started out at Genentech, I was supporting, I think, 25 people um, on, on a team that I was on. So you can't get too granular because that's just too much going on. And so just kind of getting to a level that I could understand what they were doing. I may not understand all of the technical aspects behind it because 
I don't have that expertise and I never will. So I don't need to understand everything, but I would say probably getting down to kind of a surface level understanding um, of kind of what they're doing. What, why is this important? What, what exactly are we talking about here? And honestly, they were very good at speaking in more layman's terms because when they're doing certain presentations, they're not presenting to other people in their same realm. They might be speaking to an everyday audience. So they need to make it so that people can understand. So I think that's kind of in a sense how they treated me, Mm. that they could relay the information to where of what I needed to understand. They didn't need to, you know, I didn't need to sit down with a statistician and kind of go through his formulas of all of what, (laughs) what he was calculating and doing that, that was not something I needed to do. But getting an understanding of maybe how his work ties into the greater picture would be helpful. Um, So very kind of more high level in most regards. Um, I don't need to have, you know, I never needed to have like a full in-depth. Sometimes I would for my own sake, not because it helped my job, but for my own sake, if I was really interested in a certain subject or a certain presentation, I would go and sit with somebody and kind of get a little bit more information just because I was curious. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it certain things and studies that they're doing were just so fascinating to me. Um, the more I got into the different teams and the different work that they were doing. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense, right? Because as an executive assistant, it, you know, a lot of the times it boils down to, okay, who are the people involved? Who are the constituents? Who are the people that, you know, my executive needs to get in front of? What are the timelines here? What are the deliverables that need to to um, get get done or 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 sent out in time? What are the constraints? Um, you know, what what is the time frame? What are the obstacles? Those those are the key things. And I think if you if you take the time to develop kind of that that purview of the landscape and you know what your time frames are and kind of how to work within that framework. That's that's a that's a lot of it, right? That's a lot of, of yes. what it boils down to. Um, I can imagine, and I I've, I've, I for one have never b- brought a drug to market, <laughs> so bought plenty of them, but but never brought one to market. So I don't really know, you know, what's involved in in you know the the drug trial fra- phases and you know working with um, R and D and and marketing and and medical affairs and regulatory affairs and all of these types of things. But I would imagine that as well. After you spend enough time in that environment, you sort of get a sense of they have their own sort of rhythm, right? And they have their own sort of process. And there's probably a whole series of of protocols and steps and things that have to happen. For instance, if you're bringing a drug to market that as an EA, eventually you kind of get a feel for, right? And you kind of know, okay, well, after this process is, is done, then these and these and these steps need to happen. Is that, would you say that that's true and, and kind of something that you've gleaned from just being in this environment for so long? Yes, absolutely. You know, it's, it's interesting. When I worked at Genentech, I like I mentioned, I had started out in medical affairs. And so over time, I realized there was so much more to this biotech world than just medical affairs. There was commercial, there was uh, our R&D partners, there was uh, compliance, regulatory, there was all these different worlds that intersected, but were very separate from the group that I was in. And so over time at Genentech, 
I actually made a point of going and being in the different groups at Genentech so I could learn more. So I, I kind of went backwards at one point and went and started out in what they called the GRED group, which was um, research and early development, where they're just talking about the molecules and which was extremely fascinating. Um, just kind of seeing what the pipeline was. So they're working with the molecules at the very early stages of everything and then went to the very back end of that and went to commercial where they are launching products. And so to see things go from point A to Z was extremely interesting to kind of have that knowledge because a lot of people stay at one point and they don't really get a full understanding of how the process works but having gone to different groups and learned kind of, oh, this is how, where it all starts. This is where things begin. And this is kind of the middle piece to it and, and another piece to it. And this is how they actually launch it to patients yeah. and to doctors was extremely helpful and just kind of understanding the whole process of how things work. Um, I think sometimes when you're in other industries, it's kind of a very quick, a to Z. There's not a lot in between. Um, but it, you know, when you're launching a drug, there's so much that goes on that people don't see behind the scenes. And so it's, it's been a very interesting experience. And even going from this huge company Genentech to now the small startup where we're only focusing on one thing and it's a very small group of people you get even more of a bird's eye vision of kind of that point A to point Z. It seems a lot smaller because we are so small um, and we're only working on one thing as a company. So it's, it's definitely a very interesting perspective that you get um, kind of, especially as an EA looking at how things are go to market. Yeah. No, I love that you did that. I think that's such a, uh, a powerful an encouraging thing to share with people because you know we we've we've heard other people mention that um, the importance of of really going and sitting with other departments and and taking the time to educate yourself and really getting um, up to speed on, on what your company does. I, I think Tanya Benvenuto, who supports the uh, CEO of Okta, she also advised that and encouraged her EAs to go out and do exactly what you did and what a illuminating and a greatly beneficial process that was not just for your own edification and, and self-improvement and learning opportunities, but also because you just become like this, this master ninja of understanding <laughs> what what's going on in your company and, and where you need to plug in to be able to be the most effective in, in, in helping things flow seamlessly. So I, I really love that you did that. Um, and you started to touch on this just a moment ago, but I was going to ask you about what it was like to go from this huge, huge, I mean, Genentech's like, it's like its own city. Like, I feel like it has its own mayor <laughs> and its own police department. Like, right. It's, yeah, they it's do, just, kind of. Right? It's, it's just massive. It's amazing. So you go from that extreme and to the complete other extreme um, of, of working at Grail. Tell us about that. Tell us about what that's been like from um, an employee perspective what that's meant in terms of how you how you've supported in different ways or how those environments have demanded different things of you. Yes, absolutely. So I had never worked at a company prior to Genentech 
that was so large. I had worked for, you know, companies of probably maybe 500, max 1,000 people, but never something to Genentech's magnitude. So it was a little overwhelming at first, but once you get into your group, you it starts to seem quite small because you are just in your group and you're you're kind of just plugging away doing what you do. But then as your teams are starting to intersect with other groups, you start meeting other people, you start, you know, finding out what other groups are doing, etc. So it does start to seem a lot bigger. And then when you have these, you know, town hall meetings and things, then you are realizing, yes, <laughs> this is a really large place. And it was like a city. I, I remember driving up to Genentech the very first time and thinking, oh my word, what is this place? Like, mm-hmm. this is like a little hidden city behind mm-hmm. the airports. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just crazy. But, um, you know, you kind of, I think for me being at Genentech, when you're in a company of that size, there are a lot of admins. And so there's a lot of people doing the work because there's so much work to be done. So everyone kind of has its role, has its process, has its procedure, has its place. You know who to go to if you need this. You can go to the intranet and find what you need to get because there's a there's a document or a link to something to take you to where you need to go. So it was extremely helpful in that regard because I felt like if I needed anything, I knew exactly where to go to get it. I needed I knew exactly who to reach out to if I needed something. It was all very structured. Then when I went to Grail, um, being at the time we were under 300 people, there was no processes or procedures in place per se. There was no intranet to go to to find a link to mm-hmm. a document. They don't they didn't exist. So you have to take the skills and experience of a Genentech type environment and start bringing them into the smaller workplace to say, hey, what do you guys think about this? There's no procedure for this. Here's something that's worked well in the past. Can we implement something? Or you know, hey, we don't have a document for this. We don't have a template for this. Here's something that I've used in the past that's worked well. Can we start using something like this? So getting more processes, more procedures in place um, and being able to help have input on that and help um, kind of brainstorm around those things has been one thing that I've been able to be a part of um, being kind of in the beginning stages of the admin group at Grail. A lot of the things that I've realized being at Grail is bringing the years of experience at Genentech that I've had has helped me be successful in the role that I'm in because I've taken all those years of experience, all those different groups that I was a part of, and now I'm using all of it in my one role. So you kind of have to be a jack of all trades when you're a part of a small company and a small team, because there isn't somebody that you can reach out to, to go do X. You're it. (laughs) You have to go do it. So (laughs) yeah, you are the X. And so there's usually not those departments that are formed yet. There's not those groups. So if something needs done, guess what? We're doing it. And I think that's why, you know, employers often appreciate people who come from 
varied backgrounds, whether that means that they've worked in multinational companies or some public companies and some non-public companies or some multi, you know, thousand person companies versus a smaller startup. Having had that those those broad myriad experiences, it really does inform and lend to how you operate and and and, and gives you some unique perspectives that you wouldn't might you otherwise might not have. I'm also curious, you gave some really good examples of how things have translated well and, and some of the things that you were able to bring to Grail from your, your Genentech uh, experience. But have you found the opposite to be true? Have you found that there's been some things that just really haven't scaled well, right? Things that were really relevant in a Genentech environment, but that don't make a whole world of sense at Grail? I think that when you are such a small group, you know, I came from Genentech where there was hundreds of admins. We only have six now. We have the ability to look across the room and say hi or get on a quick chat and all huddle together and figure out something really quickly. Whereas that doesn't work well when you're having to work across different time zones, different groups, etc. So yeah, there's definitely been an advantage to being at a smaller company because sometimes you can cut through some of that, I'm going to say in quotes, red tape Mm -hmm. and just get things done. You don't have to necessarily follow a certain procedure or a certain standardized process to get something done. We can kind of put our heads together and collaborate and figure out a way to quickly get something done. There is definitely advantages. One of... And I think this is unfortunate, but it is something true and something that we often hear um, from executive assistants is something along the lines of, well, you know, I'm just an EA. And I think it's one of the most sort of self-limiting and disappointing statements that we as executive assistants can say about ourselves, right? Because anytime you put the just in front of it, it's just immediately undermines um, the importance of what you bring to the table and and what you do. And and I'd really, I'd love for you to weigh in on that statement, um, particularly in the context of working for the kinds of really transformative and life-affirming companies that you work for, right? These are companies that are about extending the quality and duration of human life and human existence. I can't think of anything more lofty and significant than that. So I'd love to hear your perspective on being an EA for those types of companies. And, you know, to what extent do you see your role as really vital and critical to the missions of these companies and to supporting these executives and and companies who are doing these things for the world? Yes. Yes. So I've been there. I've been one of those admins that have said, well, I'm just an an admin. And then as I started kind of going further in my career as an EA, I had a boss that one time said to me, don't let the job make you, you make the job. And that has always stuck with me. And so when I was at Genentech, I remember one thing that always made a huge impact to me, especially on those days and those weeks where you're frustrated, you're like, why do I do this job? We would hear these patient stories. And of course, they got me every time I would be in tears because I would sit there and think to myself, 
yes, this is why I'm here. My job is making an impact. You could see it as, oh, you're just scheduling a meeting. You're just booking travel. You're just processing invoices. You're just processing expense reports, whatever the case is of what you're doing. I came to realize that if those things weren't getting done, those products wouldn't go to market eventually because meetings that important decisions are being made wouldn't be properly scheduled. Again, not to say that if it wasn't me, somebody else wouldn't be doing that job, but I do have the job. And so I take it seriously. And so scheduling those meetings where those important decisions are being made are critical to those products getting launched to those clinical trials happening to those marketing materials getting out to doctors, to nurses, so that they can have a good understanding of what our product does, et cetera. Whatever the case is, hearing those patient stories always brought me back and centered me in reminding me that I was not just an EA, that I was just like everyone else at Genentech, making an impact on somebody's life and helping patients. Sometimes I would just pause and think to myself, you know what? Yes, this is important because if these things weren't getting done, maybe that patient, maybe it would have been too late for them, or maybe they wouldn't have extended their quality of life or whatever the case is. So it kind of really made me rethink my role and rethink what I do. And even more so when I went to Grail, because we are so focused on, you know, cancer and that affects everybody nowadays. I don't, I don't know one person that you could talk to that hasn't been affected by cancer in their family, their friends, their network, somewhere people are affected by cancer. So I remember interviewing at Grail and that was one of the deciding factors in going there because I loved Genentech. I had no desire to leave when, when I was asked to interview for the role, I said no. And then they kept saying, hey, would you just talk to him? And I was like, no, I love Genentech. I'm going to be here forever. I'm working on my second sabbatical. Why would I leave? <laughs> um, and, and one of the things when I did finally go and interview with a couple of people, one of the things that made such an impact to me, not that Genentech doesn't have cancer products, that not that I haven't heard all of these amazing, amazing patient stories for all the other products that they develop, which are wonderful, but something just hit me about their mission that we could detect cancer early to save lives. And it just hit me in a way where I thought, wow, how cool would it be to be a part of a company where we're all focused on this one product, on this one mission, on this one goal to get this out the door. And if we can do this, how life-changing this will be for people and I think to even people in my own family, I think, man, how cool would it be where I can say, I work for this company that has this product that you can get this blood test to see if you have cancer. I just thought, yes, this is, this is where I want to be. And so I make the job what I want it to be. And I choose to see myself as an integral part and as a priority in helping move the company forward and helping to make sure that my executives are where they need to be, that they're in the important meetings. If they're needing to be in outside meetings that are critical because they're talking to 
you know, doctors or other professors or anybody that, you know, media, anything, I'm making sure that those meetings are happening, that they're able to participate, that I can clear their day so that they can go and do those things. And I'm making sure that I'm partnering with people on the outside, as well as internally to make sure that all of the important pieces are happening, happening and flowing in the way that they need to, so that deadlines and priorities can be met so that things can continue to move forward so that we can get this product to launch. So we had a company meeting today and they showed at the beginning of the media, meeting these media clips of different people at our company that have recently interviewed with different news channels, with different mm. media channels, because World Cancer Day was just recent and uh, last week, I believe. And so these different media uh, portals were interviewing people from our company. And so it just reminded everyone, it was so exciting to see that because everyone, you know, is on the chat on the zoom message, like, this is so cool. This is so awesome. And I think it's just good for employees overall, because whether you're an EA or you're in the lab as scientist, or you're one of the researches, or you have a PhD or you have an MD or you're the receptionist at the front desk, we all have a part in this. And so I, you know, I see myself as a partner to making that happen. And so you really have to, I believe, remind yourself that you make the job. You don't have to sit there and think, oh, I'm just an EA. You are a partner. And I think if you keep that in mind, it helps remind you that you play just as much of an important role as anybody else sitting at the table. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that was such a, a a wonderful illustration of what what this role is and, and can be and also how it's really incumbent upon us to recognize our own value and not sell ourselves short and really weed out those self-limiting thoughts because they're not serving you. <laughs> They're, right. they're, they're just not. <laughs> and I mean, goodness, like everybody, everybody has those days where they, they just aren't feeling it. And there's a tediousness to everyone's role. There's a tediousness to life, right? There's just there's just certain Absolutely. things that are inescapable, can't do it, comes with the territory, got to <laughs> just move it, plow through and, 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 and keep it moving. But I think to your point of not losing sight of, you know, what, what, what are we here to do and, and keeping that dream in focus. And there's a lot of opportunities when that might become hazy or, you know, things will kind of blur it temporarily, but you've always got to come back to keeping that dream in focus. And you gave so many nice examples of, of, of how you do that. And, it, it is so important, you know, it, maybe, no, you know, maybe you're not the one who's closing the, the funding round, but you know that getting this round of funding is absolutely critical to the next phase of bringing this product or drug to market. And you're going to make absolutely sure that the day that your executive goes in front of those investment bankers or venture capitalists or whoever it might be to get that round of funding, you're going to make sure that they're in a crystal clear positive, good headspace, and they have everything that they need, because them showing up in their absolute best way for that meeting is absolutely critical to the dream and the vision and quote, unquote, keeping it all in focus, right? So there's so much opportunity to have impact. But it also it's it's how you look at it. Yes, you know, yes, it's like anything. I think in general, we should just 
get rid of the word just. Yeah. <laughs> if you think about it, I really can't think of a single instance where that's a critical word. I feel like it's a disservice to the English language. Like, I think it's a useless word and we should all take this as an opportunity to weed it out of our vocabulary. So for those executive assistants who are listening today, and maybe they were like you, you know, whatever, 10, 15 years ago, had never touched biotech, didn't know about it, didn't know the first thing about it, right? What advice do you have for them? And what should they prepare for? What what challenges and rewards are going to come with this territory? And what, what are kind of the, the best pieces of, of advice that you can share, given all of your experience? I think everyone has to have a passion for what they do. And I absolutely love my job. I love being an EA. And so I can go be an EA at Google. I could go be an EA at Facebook. I could go be an EA at Apple, wherever. You know, those are those are some pretty big uh, tech companies in the Bay Area. But I choose to stay in biotech because I love the type of passion it gives me for the job that I have. So if that's something you feel passionate about, if you want to be in a job where you're an EA and you say, I want to hear those patient stories or, or I've been a patient or, you know, we have people that work at Grail that have been patients of other products. And so they know how, how important it is and to, to do the type of work that we're doing. So if that's something that, that has any inkling in you, then I think biotech is a great place to be. And again, I came from not even knowing, I was like, biotech, what is that? (laughs) DNA, huh? (laughs) How does that work with all of this? (laughs) Um, But I think that if you have that inkling, there's so many jobs out there right now and your skills are so transferable into the world. I know they always say they want biotech experience, but I think if you can bring the passion that you have and, and show that that's something that you're super interested in and that you have a passion for it. And if you have examples of why it's important to you when you're interviewing or on your cover letter or anything, why is this a industry you want to get into? I think that's super helpful for people to understand why you want to get into biotech. Honestly, I think the biotech experience is a nice to have. It's not a must have. Because you can pick up on that foreign language of the biotech industry, just like you would have to anywhere else. As a recruiting firm who often are are advising people on um, how to prepare and, and navigate for these types of situations, I think that oftentimes it's passion that closes the gap between what you have in terms of your experience and skill level today and where you want to be. It's that passion that allows the organization to say, well, gosh, you know, Stacy's never worked in biotech before, but she seems really invested and really interested and could really articulate and speak to how she could support this endeavor and, and why she would be excited to do so. So let that passion really become um, one of your skills, you know, and, and, yes. let it, and let it become the experience that you don't have. Absolutely. So final question for you is one that we ask everyone, which is if you could support anyone throughout the course of history and time, who would you choose to support and why? I think 
my answer is going to be the Queen of England. <laughs> oh, Why? the current queen? <laughs> the current queen. Okay. Obviously, she's been there for quite some time. Yes. Uh, I think... Good job I, stability. <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, but I think a couple of reasons. I've always been so fascinated by that whole world. Um, and again, I know, it, you know, the support structure is not the same as what we have here in our traditional... EA world, but I think being an assistant to somebody in that type of world would just be fascinating to, because you get not only a personal aspect, but you're kind of getting like how they're running, you know, their governmental world, whatever the case mm -hmm. is, but there's so much history there as well. So having to learn and understand all of that would be incredibly amazing and maybe even get to travel some because she does a lot of trips. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that, and I, I would like to think that they have, you know, their high tea, which I would love to have that every day. So <laughs> there's all kinds of cool aspects. I think that would be really fun. Well, this has been lovely. I'm so glad that we had the chance to speak. And I really think that you've given our listeners um, a dose of encouragement, but also hopefully some self-confidence around really seeing the value and really thinking about themselves as, um, as you said, not just a, you know, EA, but, but really as a valuable partner in so many aspects. So I hope that people listen to this and um, get a little bit more jazzed and encouraged about how they're going to show up in their work and, and their roles. So thank you for that, Stacey. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me as a guest. I really enjoyed talking with you. So thank you. Yes, me too. Thanks so much. Reach is brought to you by Maven Recruiting Group, who specializes in placing executive assistants and support staff to the Bay Area's most prominent executives and companies. If you've enjoyed being part of our podcast community and are interested in becoming part of our candidate community, we're currently hiring for roles in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and Los Angeles. You can visit us at www.mavenrec.com to see some of the roles we're currently working on and to submit your resume.